Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a very special episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast. I'm here with my friend, Elena, who you may remember, she joined me and my friends, Tommy and Tyler, for a very honest and open conversation about how to love people in the LGBTQ plus community. Tommy and Tyler shared their stories of growing up as gay men who also love God, and they kind of unpacked a lot of the myths around being gay, but also loving God. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, I highly recommend it. And Elena joined us on that episode to share her story of Tyler coming out to her, and she gave her perspective on how to love your friend when they come out to you or share something really special and really important like that. Um, But Elena has a lot of her own stories to tell. She is someone who has lived many lifetimes within one lifetime. (laughs) And Elena has just experienced so many things that I think a lot of Christians struggle with, but are maybe ashamed to talk about. So if you feel alone in certain struggles, if you feel like no one will understand what you've gone through, the mistakes that you think you've made, this episode is for you. I hope that you find a lot of hope and healing and encouragement in Elena's stories from someone who has been in all, done it all, seen it all, to someone who still loves God and is on an amazing path forward in her life. So if God can do the same for Elena, he can do the same for you. So I'm just going to kick it over to Elena to kind of open up and to share her story with us and what she's learned. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Um, I don't even know where to start. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a Christian household. Parents love Jesus. I have three older brothers who are wonderful. Um, I was in the church. Um, I, you know, I understood who God and Jesus was and the importance of it. Um, and then some stuff went down um, in my family, and I got kind of confused by a lot of things about how kind God is and why would he let this happen and, you know, all of those questions. Um, and then in high school, I um, found my love of partying. <laughs> how did you get into that was there like a particular friend who was kind of like a partier um it was our group we had quite a large group and even i mean most of them i'm still friends with to this day um but we you know my best friend she her brother was older so we got to go to the older party oh, like right. you know we got to so you felt like special yeah yeah we felt super cool so <laughs> um And at home, my dad traveled for work Monday through Thursday or sometimes Monday through Friday. And my mom has fibromyalgia, so it's a chronic um, pain um, disease that affects your whole body. And so mom was in bed a lot. Um, There's stuff going on with my brothers. And so I didn't feel super secure at home. Um, And I think that's kind of why, like, leaned into the partying and the friends and that kind of stuff definitely rebelling um and then junior year 
I, looking back, I had undiagnosed anxiety, but back then it was skipping class. And I had the choice to either get it together or go to another school to do my classes in a semester instead of a year. Oh, okay. So wait, so you were skipping class because you were anxious? Yeah. Okay. Like I, looking back now, I think I was just really freaking anxious gotcha. and miserable. So they gave you the choice of get your stuff together or go to a different school and wrap everything up. Yeah, like wrap everything up in a semester rather than a year. So senior year, um, I only had to do a semester and then I graduated. And then the day after I turned 18, which was April 27th, I packed my stuff up in my car and I drove to Austin and moved in with my brother and his wife, newly married, which I still can't believe they let me do that. But <laughs> And then from there, it was just, I took a year off to, I got um, a job working on 6th Street, oh my gosh, um, bartending. And so I did that and again, really kind of got introduced into the real party and drug scene and um, <clears throat> found myself dating a guy and then a couple months in realizing he was a drug dealer. Oh my gosh. That's a whole other story. But basically the gist of it was I figured it out. Um, maybe I was naive. I, not maybe. I was naive. I didn't really realize what was happening until it kind of was there. So that's when I first got introduced to like drugs. So like I did a lot of cocaine. We would do a lot of ecstasy, go to concerts, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, it always leads to harder stuff. And so I got into um, pain pills. Um, and that kind of erased six months of my life, to be honest. Um, nobody really knew about it. Parents didn't know about it. Um, so that was kind of it. And then I guess, um, after that boyfriend, um, I decided I was going to go to beauty school. So I went to beauty school. I met a guy there who's in the barber program and he was a shy, quiet guy, quiet guy, really sweet. And we started dating, and then he turned out to be just, I mean, a sociopath, literally. Like, he had a, in quotes, dark side. And so that took me six months to see. And by then, I was so far gone into everything. I didn't even know who I was anymore. And um, I ended up being hospitalized for a week. And then got out and realized I needed to get sober and then partied for a couple more years and then finally decided to get sober. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until after I was baptized a couple months into it, I decided to get sober. I've been sober six and a half years. Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah. I remember when you, carried, when you came to our life group, you shared that it had been like a year, mm -hmm. I think, when you first started. Yeah, yeah. To our life. yeah. I thought that was really special that you shared with us. But um, just backtracking a little bit, I think when it comes to like partying and like drug use and all of that, I think something that a lot of people don't realize, and you might have felt the same way, is how easy it is to get into that lifestyle. I mean, I remember you even told me that 
it's so easy to find drugs, like, easier than people think it is. Yeah. Very. So, like, looking back, I guess, like, what are some signs that you wished you had looked out for? Or, like, maybe some things you would, like, some red flags where you're like, oh, maybe I should, like, avoid this person. Or, like, I guess helping people, like, avoid kind of falling into that, like, partying lifestyle. I think people, especially at 18, 19, 20, 21, like, I think people are really naive and they think, oh, I just do it on the weekends. I just do it to party on the weekends. But then what happens during the week when you get bored? Or your friend asks you, hey, you want to go grab drinks? And the drinks turn into Coke and turns into 4 a.m. going home. Like, it, it ha- it's like a snowball effect. It, like, really does just take over. And, like, I think a huge part of it is the people you hang out with. And I surrounded myself with people who work downtown. And so that's just what we did. And so it like normalized it. Right. And you were in the service industry. Yeah. Like you were in the like, environment. I know it sounds so cliche. Everyone was doing it. Like I remember going into shift at 6 p.m. My The owner of the bar would take me in the back and have me do coke before putting me out to do my shift well because it would make you like a way yeah and I'm like ready to go yeah and so I just it was just so normal in quotes yeah um and I think I wish I wasn't so naive thinking that this can just be a weekend thing or every once in a while thing or like because it quickly turned into an everyday thing yeah sure yeah, and I think that's really wise. I've talked about that before, maybe not on a podcast, but with you and other people, I've talked about like the idea of not trusting yourself so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think we all do it right. We all think like, oh, I can handle this. I can handle that. But sometimes you really can't, especially if you do have anxiety or depression. I think it can be even easier to lean into um, drugs or alcohol or stuff like that to numb your anxiety and to deal with your depression. Absolutely. Yeah, it can kind of be a perfect storm if you have all of that going on within you. And it's it's just such a, you know, you do you drink and you do drugs so you can get numb from the feelings and then you stop doing it. And all the, you know, you're like, why am I so anxious? Why am I so depressed? It's like, well, I'm not that way when I'm on drugs or drinking. So might as well just stick to that because it is easier (laughs) to not feel. Right. And have a good time and be the party girl and like, you know, do it for the plot, you know, Mm -hmm. staying up till 7 a.m. and then having to go to work at eight. Like that life just became so normal to me. And so it wasn't until I was hospitalized that I realized like how I'd just been slapping a Band-Aid on a gun wound. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. And really important. And after, I remember you shared one time, like, a really poignant example of when you realized, like, yeah, partying and drugs isn't for me anymore. Like, you were at a particular party where you had this moment of clarity and you're like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, I, we were out on 6th Street, we went to an after party, and there were two plates of white powder that they were passing around. And... I, one of them was Coke and I did a lot of Coke and then they handed me the next plate and I was like, I don't know why. Well, it was definitely a God thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
But I was like, wait, what is this? And they told me, oh, it's GHB, the date rape drug. But you just do a little bit of it and it feels like you're on ecstasy. Wow. And I put the plate down and I walked out. I went to bed that night and I woke up and never touched drugs again. Wow. (laughs) I was like, I dropped the people. I dropped all of those friends. I deleted numbers. I blocked numbers. I sat in my one, my studio apartment for probably six months and did not go out because that's the only way I had power over it. And Rachel, of course, she's, you know, she's my best friend and she, uh, that's how we became close. She sat in my studio apartment with me every weekend night when I didn't want to go out. She would stay with me. And so that's how I got sober from drugs. Yeah. And I think that's huge too. Like just taking all the steps that you took of like deleting numbers, blocking people, not going out. I think a lot of people don't realize too that, you know, you have to go to great lengths to walk away from that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I know some people think they can still hang out with the same friends. They can still go to the same bar. They can still whatever. But it's just so easy, I'm sure, to just get sucked right back into that. Yeah, it is. And like, I mean, even to this day, you know, if I go out, which is like three times a year, um, I run into those people and they are doing the same thing they've been doing since I was 18 years old. Wow. That was 11 years ago. Wow. They're still at the same bars. They're still staying up till 7, 8 a.m. And they'll ask me, they're like, hey, you want to come to this after? No. No. I know my limit. I know my boundaries. And I'm confident in that now that I wasn't at the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So backing up a little bit, you mentioned that before you went to that party and had that moment of clarity that made you want to get sober, you had like a brief stint of being hospitalized. And if you're okay with it, I'd love for you to maybe share about that time a bit too because again I think a lot of Christians have stigma around mental health issues as we know there's a lot of stigma around having to check yourself into places like that to get the help that you need and I know you've shared with me that God really showed up for you during that time so I'd love to hear more about that um, part of your story. Yeah so while I was um, so I had my first panic attack that I realized what it was when I was 19. I went to the ER because of it and they gave me a Gatorade and like asked if I was going to kill myself and then like sent me home. <laughs> they're, they're mar- yeah. I mean, about- so I was like, cool. And I was like, well, it doesn't happen when I'm doing drugs and partying. So I'm just going to keep that up. So I kept that up. And then beauty school, met the guy. Um, some just horrific, traumatic things happened. And... I was done. I like it was the low of the low. I had like a plan on how I was going to end my life and I was just ready to go. And um, my parents were like, you need to see someone or we're going to stop paying your rent. I was like, oh, shoot. OK, so I actually met a therapist at the cosmetology school. She gave me her card. And I just randomly called it one day 
and she got me in and I and I I mean I see I saw her today like she's she's been in my life since that day um and I sat down on her couch and I was just like 109 pounds you know just like a shell of a person oh my god a shell of a person and she and I told her what was going on and she was like okay I'm admitting you and I was like what and she's like you 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 aren't safe right because you expressed to her like you yeah. think to yeah yourself and all of that yeah it was like, like you are not safe right uh, now yeah she's like we need to get you somewhere safe so my dad happened to be in Austin which is wild total god thing um and so him and my brother Mark picked me up from the doctor's op- the counselor's office and carried me into this psych psychiatric ward and I was there um in the first two days I was just like miserable and pissed and defeated and you know still pretty suicidal and um I mean I just rock bottom basically and uh I feel like you know there's a bible there and God really highlighted John 13 7 um which is you do not understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Mm. And that just like was like a light switched on. And I was just like, you know, this all sucks and this is hard and I'm miserable, but like God is still good. Like he's meeting me in the darkest place. And then I realized if I want to get out of here, I got to get better. <laughs> so I took my meds. I did all the classes, you know, yada, yada. Lied with everything. I lied. I put a smile on my face. So I was like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> and it was just, it was eye-opening because I look around at these people. A ton of them were homeless. And none of them have family or friends. And I was the only one that had visitors every day at lunch. My family would come. I was the only one with visitors. Wow. I was the only one, like, who's people would answer the phone when I called them at night. Like it was just, it was so eye-opening, so many different levels. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I got out and was on medication and I was still with the guy until another traumatic thing happened. <laughs> and I finally got out and, um, I mean, a lot, I, for a long time, didn't share with people that I had gone through that because I was embarrassed and, like, you know, you see on the movies, like, psych wards and, like, crazy people, and it's like, no, it's food. Like, anyone could end up there, really. Like, and I'm not even saying that it's the it was the best thing for me because I'm not really sure looking back, but it did what it needed to do. And I'm here today because I went through that process. And to get out, I had to do an outpatient program, which was five weeks, three days a week, four hours a day of group therapy. Wow. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> it was a lot. And I would show up high. I would, you know, I would be there, but I was usually stoned or, you know, even hungover, whatever. Um, I had quit like the hard drugs around for that time just because I was on so much medication and stuff. Right. Um, 
yeah, like I said, it's just God met me in that place. And so I'm grateful for it. And I wouldn't be where I am today without having that experience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an encouragement because I think it shows that healing can sometimes be messy. And I think people forget that. People think, oh, I'm going on this healing journey and it's going to be great and yeah. easy and comfortable when you really had to do the hard work, like you said, of going to that hospital, going to those therapy sessions, complying with whatever they asked you to do, not having up a fuss, you know, yeah. and that and that's hard when that's not where you want to be. Obviously, no one wants yeah. to be there. No, definitely not. But so you and the reason I love your story, too, is because it kind of shows that healing isn't always linear. I think a lot of people think it's a linear journey, but I think it's more like, you know, peaks and valleys, ups and downs. Yeah. And so you shared with me that after you got out of the hospital, you continued to party. Mm -hmm. You broke up with that one crazy boyfriend. Yeah. Continued to party. When you say party, like, did you get back into the hard stuff or were you just like drinking and like doing weed? Yeah, I, I got back into doing coke. Um, I never, I quit messing around with the painkillers and um, the ecstasy. Um, but yeah, coke was still a thing. Um, and it took me like, like, like you, like I was doing better but I was not okay. I was, I was functioning and I was surviving, but I wasn't thriving, you know, like that's what I think a lot of people think like, Oh, you still partied after you were hospitalized. Yeah. Like I was still messed up. Like it didn't just like fix it like that. And like, some people don't want to hear this, but like, I don't believe God healed me then and there for a reason. Like, I don't think that all my problems, if my problems just disappeared in that hospital room, uh, what's my testimony? Like, I have this, like, testimony now of, like, how God changed my life, and it took years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that now. Yeah, and I hope that encourages people to just like we were saying, like healing is a, a journey. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people might think, okay, cool. I check myself into a hospital. I do all this. I check all the boxes. I'll be healed. I'll be fine. But that's just not the reality sometimes. No. And so I think it's very honest of you to share that like, yeah, you still went back to party. You still went back to hanging out with the same old people, the same old crew and all of that. But then you had that night at that one party where you had that moment of clarity where they were passing around movies and everything. Well, I actually, so I partied for like another year or so, started going back to church randomly, and I would show up hungover, looking like crap, and every once in a while I would bring one of my friends from the night before, my friend Taylor, she, she was, I was like, come to church with me on Sunday, she's like, go out with me Saturday, I'm like, deal. <laughs> so I would like, I'd figure it out, but I would get there, and... That was like a huge turning point of like feeling God again and like knowing like this isn't all about like me just facing it on my own. Like I have demons and like we serve a God that loves us and cares for us and who's 
faithful and he never gave up on me. And so why would I give up on him? Mm. And um, so I went through, you know, I was I was definitely partying less, but I was still doing it. Like I hadn't fully gotten sober out of that like situation. And then I decided to get baptized. So I kept baptized. <laughs> and like a week later, I'm doing cocaine. Mm. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I like, I still did drugs for and drank for another four, five months after being baptized and like having this like total God moment, like in church. And like, I still found myself there. I was just like, and you know, it, it took that party. And I think God was kind of like, okay, I'm done waiting. Let's like, <laughs> let's wrap this up, Elena. Like it's time to move forward in your, in your journey. And so I had that moment at the party and never touched drugs again. That's amazing. And I mean, again, thank you just for your honesty and sharing that too. How even though like you started going to church again, you would party on Saturday night and go to church Sunday morning and go, you know, go up hungover. <laughs> yeah. Fresh out of <laughs> yeah, fresh out of partying. But you still went. And I think a lot of Christians feel like they can't do that anymore. Like yeah. once they have sinned and messed up and done things that they regret the night before, they think, Well, how can I walk into a church? How can I go and ask for yeah. prayer? How can I go and sit through a worship service? Yes. But I love that you just kept showing up. Yeah. And that's exactly where God wants you to is like he wants to reach you and he wants you to not give up. And I think that's what Sunday mornings after Saturday nights really taught me was I kind of, like I said, like he didn't give up on me. I don't want to give up on him. Yeah. I found myself there. Yeah. And I, I love that way of looking at it because again, I feel like so many people shy away from going to church after they made mistakes and messed up and stuff like that. Because they blame themselves, they feel a lot of shame, they feel a lot of guilt. But I love how you just focused on your love of God and that motivated you where you were like, yeah, he hasn't given up on me. I'm not going to give up on him. Yeah, My life is going to be a response to his love, a response to his sacrifice. And I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep showing up to church. Yeah, whether I liked it or not. All right. So Alina has shared her story. She's taken us through kind of the peaks and valleys of her healing journey, which I love because, again, it shows that healing is not a linear A to B kind of journey. Um, So now I would really love for you to share like just how you kind of let go of the past because I struggle with feeling forgiven for past mistakes or past regrets. And I know that's a very common thing in Christian communities. We kind of tend to beat ourselves up for the past. So how did you kind of find freedom and healing to just let that go and walk in the truth of of what God says about you? Lots of Jesus time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think 
Um, and my therapist helped a lot with this. So everyone go to therapy. It's wonderful. Um, but just combating those thoughts and those fears and the, the shame and the guilt with like God's truth about what he says about you and how he feels about you. And, um, I mean, it sounds cheesy. It's like anytime a thought would pop into my head, I'd literally say out loud sometimes, no, that's not what God says about me. Mm. And like, you know, learning scripture and, um, and I'm not some like girl that sits every morning and reads her Bible and talks to God for two hours. It's not that, trust me, I'm, I, I'm not like that, but I had to equip myself with, things that were going to remind me of who I am. Um, so I think that's really important. It's like the enemy lies and wants you to feel isolated in your past. And God is the one that's looking towards your future and like who he's created you to be. And, um, you know, you don't feel like it in the time, but like it does get better. Even if it's a centimeter better. It does get better. Um, so yeah, I think I just reminded myself a lot, a lot and kind of just tried to change my thought patterns um, to be a little bit more positive, which to this day, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with it too. Um, even though I'm in this amazing, loving relationship and like, with with my fiance we we've got such a good relationship where i've realized i was t- telling you this earlier like i realized like oh my gosh i do have freedom from my past because i haven't thought about what if he doesn't love me because if once he find when he finds out this or what if he doesn't really love me he's just like here because he feels bad and like <laughs> all of those you know thoughts like I realized how little I had of them Mm. and I was like I think I finally being set free from my past of like you're not good enough you're not worthy enough no one will ever love you and I'm not saying that as like once you find your husband like all that will go away I'm not saying that at all I will say though before I met him there's about five months where I was like did not talk to any guys, did not go on dates. I mean, you remember, I was like, yeah. nobody talk to me if you are a male because I'm focused and I was just spending time with Jesus and like really trying to prepare myself for my future husband. And, you know, time worked out and it's great. But um, yeah, I think, I think, and it's hard to hear this when you're in it, but it takes time. Hmm. And it takes a relationship with Jesus to really combat those lies and walk in the fullness and the freedom that God has for you. Mm. I love that. And this like observation just came to me while you were like sharing your story that it just seems like throughout your life, you have really taken time for yourself Mm -hmm. and you have really been kind to yourself and I feel like a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't take the time to go to a hospital mm-hmm. if they need to. A lot of people don't take the time to look for a therapist, mm-hmm. let alone sit in a therapy session every month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you started with Nicole yeah. every every week. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's 
a huge part of your story too, is that you just made time for yourself and you made yourself a priority. Yeah. And I think, I think maybe I didn't get that when I was younger. Um, so maybe that's why I like really tried to make time for myself. I, I think a huge thing, what you kind of said was being kind to yourself because someone who struggles with anxiety and depression, it's really easy to be unkind to yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and again, this is another cheesy thing that I swear by. Talk to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend. Mm -hmm. You've told me that before. Yeah, <laughs> because it's like, why, you know, you would never call your best friend ugly or stupid or pathetic or fat or, yeah, you know, are worthless. Yeah, lose. Like, you would never say that. So no. why are we saying that to ourselves? And it's like, amen. Like, why are, why are we doing that to ourselves? Like, and just like reading some scripture here and there too, of just like what God says about you, because that's at the end of the day, that's what really matters. And yeah, I think, I think it took me a long time to be kind to myself for sure. And it's still struggle. Like, we're not saying that all of this is like, I'm healed. I'm better now. Like we've, we've talked, like, it's not that I'm like, okay, I'm good now. It's a daily thing to try and walk in freedom and kindness for myself yeah and some days are better than others and some days I need you to tell me you know and some days I need my fiance to tell me and other days I'm like I can tell other people and pour into other people about it so it just it doesn't turn into rainbows and butterflies I'll say that but it does get significantly better yeah yeah because yeah I mean I remember like you know you had a tough summer like over the summer was pretty rough and again I loved that you you just took time for yourself and yeah. you were kind to yourself you let people in you meditated on what God said about you and yeah I mean I think this might sound discouraging to people but you know I still struggle with anxiety and depression after going to therapy you still struggle with both of those things after going to therapy yeah. and I saw this video the other day I think I might have sent it to you. I can't remember. But this pastor was talking about, it was called like the mountain of healing. And he was talking about how a lot of people, when they read the verse of like, you know, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, you know, move and it'll move. And this pastor was like, well, what if your mountain doesn't move? Yeah. And he talked about how the mountain of your mountain is not your healing. Mm -hmm. It's not getting over depression. It's not getting over anxiety. But it's what do I do even if I'm not healed? Right. What do I do even if I still live with anxiety, if I still live with depression? And I love that your story is one of just continuing to move forward mm -hmm. and just put one foot in front of the other, you know? Yeah. Like, I know we've talked about this by healing and stuff. Like, you know, there's a a big chance that I don't get healed from my anxiety and depression the side of heaven. And like, it's taken me years and years to kind of be okay with it. Like, I'm not even fully okay with it yet, but I'm kind of okay with it. And like, you know, like this summer was an episode of just my panic disorder was just revved up and, you know, couldn't drive, didn't really leave the house much. And I'm on the other end of it slowly and but that summer doesn't take over all the work that I've done mm. and it doesn't mean that I'm any less to God because I had a really hard couple months and it may, it felt like during the time it was stepped backwards 
But it was really just like, it's just part of my journey. Like, yeah. it's not going to go away. You know, I, I pray that God would heal me the set of heaven, but that's, you know, that might not be true. And so I have to be, and we've talked about this, like we have to be okay with our struggles and then not just like going away because we've done a lot of work or like taken enough meds or seen the therapist enough or mm-hmm. prayed enough or read my Bible enough. And so that was, that's something I'm actively working on. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it, it's hard. It's a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow. But I think at the end of it, like I just try to remind myself like God is good and faithful and true no matter what happens in my life, no matter if I'm healed on this side of eternity or not, because in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my trauma, in the midst of my anxiety and depression, God has already met me in so many places. Like with you, he met you in the hospital in like one of the lowest peaks of values of your life. Yeah. And and that's the goodness of God, you know, that he shows up even in, in the darkest, lowest moments. And so even if I'm not healed on this side of eternity, just the fact that God keeps showing up in my life and lifting me out of those dark moments is enough. And I think like my biggest advice to people is like, for so long, I was ashamed of my testimony and my story and my past that I just let it eat me up and I never shared with anyone. And the second I started sharing it with people and being vulnerable and showing them, you know, the icky parts, <laughs> like it was crazy how God moved. Yeah. Like the enemy wants you to isolate and to feel shame and guilt, but that's what the cross did. Mm. God, you know, sent his son to take that away from us. And so I want to live my life sharing my testimony and my story to people, especially, you know, Christians who are feel like they can't have a past like theirs or they're not good enough because they're a Christian but they struggle with anxiety or they're a Christian but they've had suicidal thoughts or you know and so it's like the more I share it with people Christian and non-Christian it's crazy the responses I get because nine out of ten times say oh my gosh me too Mm. and it's crazy and it's it's so cool to see what God does and we end up in these long conversations over coffee or a drink and like you just learn more about this person that is just sometimes even just so lost and you get to share Jesus with that, which is so cool, you know? Yeah. Like I think of that verse that says, I, I can never remember verses. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not Christian. That's like somewhere in the Bible. It's somewhere in the Bible. Something about. <laughs> yeah. But there's that verse that says, you know, it is for freedom that you have been set free And I think about the phrase, like, we are set free so that we can set others free. Yeah. You know, like, you were set free from all of that bondage and all of that shame and all of that guilt, and you're still working through it. But for the most part, you were set free from all of that so that you can set others free. Yeah. You know, you're not afraid to share as you are on this podcast because you know that it'll free other people. And you've already been set free from that. Yeah, absolutely. I think think that's my advice is just... Don't be ashamed of your testimony. Like mm. God knew all of this was going to happen. Yeah. And just walk in freedom and and know who you are is because God made you the way that you are. 
the good, the bad, the ugly. Like he doesn't he doesn't care about that. He just wants your heart and your story to glorify him. So that's my advice. I love that. Yeah. How do you kind of piggybacking off of that? How do you think that people can make like more space to have these hard conversations in, you know, Bible studies or life groups or, you know, how can like if any Bible study leaders are listening, how can they kind of cultivate like a space where people can feel free to talk about the hard stuff? I feel like the best thing to do is one on one time. Um, I think. I mean, that's how we became friends. Yeah, we had a lot of, you know, one on one time at one time. And it's like. Just opening a safe space to be, you know, not come off it as like holier than thou. Mm-mm. I'm better than you. I'm a leader. So, you know, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, that's why you. Um, and, and, you know, just praying before you walk into a situation like that of just being like, God, if this shocks me, please don't let my face say it. <laughs> or like. You know, give me wisdom on how to love this person or, you know, how can I show them your love today as we talk? You know, just opening up a conversation with the Holy Spirit of like, how can I love this person even when their past looks different than me? Mm. I think a lot of Christians have a hard time with that where, you know, there's a lot of cookie cutter situations. But then when you really, you know, I came from a Christian Jesus loving Southern family, and we were messed up. And to this day, there's still stuff going on. And I think people, if they just opened up that conversation with people, even the people you think have this like perfect shiny past, you'd be shocked mm-hmm. at what they have to say. Doc, you know, I mean, we've met so many people where it's been been a lot it's been a lot <laughs> yeah yeah so i would just say asking the holy spirit to guide the conversation for sure yeah and just opening up your mind to this person may have a really different story than mine but that's okay yeah because we're all different and it takes yeah. all types yeah and yeah i love your advice to make one-on-one time too because yeah. you know i've been a life group leader you've been a life group leader and you know, often we would break up into small groups, like when the evening would wind down, you know, after the main Bible study session took place, we would break up in small groups to pray for things. But people don't want to go that deep when people are, other people are just sitting like right across right. the living room or yeah. in the kitchen or whatever. So I love your idea of inviting people out to one-on-one time where yeah. they might feel more um, free to kind of talk about harder yeah. stuff when it's like you and them and even inviting them to like a safe place like your home or their home yeah you know I feel like the tendency is like oh let's go grab coffee let's go grab lunch but I really like having people over to my house I used to have my girls over just to my house and yeah. I cook them dinner and we'd sit yeah. on the couch eat spaghetti and have a glass of wine and get into really vulnerable conversations that turned out to be wonderful so yeah because i feel like that makes such a safe space for people like you're in a home it's warm and cozy yeah and people just feel more free it's just you you know one yeah. person so people feel more free to maybe open up about deeper stuff yeah so i love that idea of like making room for more one-on-one time yeah as a leader or even as a friend you know? yeah just as a friend and people over to your home for one yeah like instead of grabbing coffee instead of grabbing lunch maybe surprise your friend and be like 
hey, do you want to come over and like I'll cook a meal for you? Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, and I and I love that. <laughs> I mean, we're sitting in my house right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I love that because yeah, I feel like it just opens opens up space for people to be more vulnerable and and go a bit deeper than they would if they're in like a restaurant and yeah, people can overhear their conversation. Yeah, I think I think people. This may be a hot take. I think people crave to be vulnerable. Mm. I really do think that. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people are scared to do it, but I think people crave to find someone that they can be vulnerable with. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. So I think to wind down this episode, I'd kind of love to just hear like your final thoughts. So I told you like something I use to kind of guide me whenever I record an episode is like, what did I want to hear when I was struggling through that kind of situation? Yeah. So if someone listens to this podcast and they're going through what you went through, maybe they're in the middle of a really rough addiction to something. Maybe they're with a partner that they know they need to leave. That's not good for them. Maybe they're on the brink of like a mental breakdown and they know they need to check themselves into somewhere or sign up to get therapy. Like what would you say to that person? You can never be far from God. Mm. You are never too far from God. I think I think God tends to meet people in the darkest and in the lowest of valleys. And I think that just says something really special about his character and how kind of a father he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's literally nothing that can separate you from the love of God, just like in Romans. Um, 838 we looked it up yeah 838 (laughs) Um, yeah there's just there's nothing you can do that will separate you from God and I think a lot of people the first thing they do is oh I did this and turn away from him and then you just keep turning and turn and you're just like before you know it you're you don't even feel his presence anymore Mm. you don't have to feel it to know that he's with you Mm. I mean I found God in a hospital room I mean, I was ready to end my life and I found him and I found him again at that party when I was about to do date rape drag, apparently. And yeah. I found him, you know, in the midst of like in the midst of deep depression. Yeah. I mean, anxious nights. Yeah. I mean, this summer I found him even more, you know, like I feel like each day I find him more and more. And so just knowing that he hasn't left your side, he's not going anywhere, and you can try your hardest, but he's he's like a best friend. He's not going to stop. Got Amen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Alina, for sharing your story. And I really hope that this episode encourages people who are just going through hard times you know it's um it's human to struggle it's human to have hard times so i hope that elena's story will encourage you to take um whatever steps you need to take to move forward in healing and growth so i'm going to wrap things up here don't forget to follow me on instagram at lonewolvesclub.pod and don't forget to rate and review Elena, have you rated and reviewed? I have not. <laughs> oh my gosh, I haven't. We're going to do it right now. Right now, I'm getting my phone out. <laughs> but don't forget to rate and review from whatever platform you listen to podcast on. I am on all platforms, including YouTube Music. So if you prefer the YouTube Music app, you can search me there, Lone Wolves Club, and I'll pull up. 
And you can also email me at lonewolvesclubpod at gmail.com. That's a great place to offer me feedback on episodes or need me ideas for topics that you wish I would cover. All right, so this has been another episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Porter. Thank you so much for spending a tiny part of your day with me. And until next time. <laughs>